Hello! Welcome to the Healthy Habits Happy Home Podcast, hosted by the Guelph Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we will bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share their expertise and experience with you. Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy home. Welcome back to the Healthy Habits Happy Homes podcast. I'm Marcy Ann. And I'm Tamara. And today we're excited to have Shannon Rolf join us. Shannon is an occupational therapist who received her Master's of Occupational Therapy at the University of British Columbia, and she now owns her own private practice. Her therapy focus is on helping kids exceed their expectations and supporting parents along the way. She highly values building a connection between parents and children and offers one-on-one child-focused therapy, parenting coaching, and nature-based small groups for kids called Kids in the Woods. If you'd like to know more, you can follow her on Instagram at shannon.rolf.ot or go to her website, www.shannonrolf.ca. Welcome to the podcast, Shannon. We're excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. To get us started, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your current role, and how your education and experiences led you to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to. So like you said, I'm Shannon. I'm an occupational therapist here in Guelph. Outside of my work, I'm also a mom of three young kids. So they're five, seven, and nine, uh, and a very recent puppy owner. <laughs> so we, uh, I live in a house with lots of happy chaos, we like to describe it. Yeah, I really love being out in nature, which is how some of my work brought me to incorporating nature into the therapy process. To answer your first question, the way that I landed on OT, it was a bit of a dance. I feel like when I kind of finished my undergrad, I wasn't entirely sure where I wanted to go with it. And then I discovered OT uh, at the time I was doing support work. So I was working with kids and families with disabilities. um, And I had the opportunity to shadow a couple of OT sessions with my support working clients. And I was blown away by just how holistic and creative and supportive these OTs were in a way that I hadn't seen health professionals show up and and really wrap around families before. So that was the thing that really piqued my interest in OT. Yeah, I started started work as an OT back in 2010 uh, and haven't looked back since. That's awesome. OTs do so much. Uh, I had some friends study to become OTs and I'm like, wow, you all do like so much. So that's really awesome. Thank you for sharing your journey. And a new puppy sounds really cool. What kind of dog? He's uh, he's a bit of a mutt. He's um, part Great Pyrenees, part Leonberger oh. and part Shepherd. Oh my goodness, I am really trying hard to contain not spontaneously buying another dog, but I really want to. I can tell you based on my first week that I would advise waiting. (laughs) Okay. I love it. Right? All the puppies. For our audience, can you share more about what an occupational therapist can do? 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. So like you said, Marcian, OT is really interesting because the scope of OT is so broad. So if you've met one OT, you've really met one OT. <laughs> the way that our work looks is very different depending on the context we're in, which makes it hard to understand what OT is. So what I like to explain to people is that the actual definition of occupation is meaningful activity. And so what OTs do is we use meaningful activities as either the means to therapy. So we use activities that are meaningful to help people work towards their goals, or we use meaningful activities as the end goal of therapy. So we're helping people build up their skills or confidence or overcome barriers that are getting in the way of them engaging in the things that are meaningful. So OT, yeah, in different contexts looks very different because those occupations are very different. But in my world, working with kids and families, a lot of those occupations that we uh, work on are things like play. They're things like how kids are performing in school or in friendships. Uh, The work that I do with parents, the meaningful activity is this role of parenting. And so therapy looks like building up skills and and confidence so that parents can show up as the parents they want to be. So it can look really different, even within my own practice. Um, But I think that idea of occupation as meaningful activity is a helpful way to understand it. Yeah, for sure. That is super, super helpful. I've had the pleasure of working with some OTs, but in a totally different context, like in inpatient in a hospital. Um, and it's so interesting to me, like how broad that role is. And I actually, I find it fascinating because you can really like focus in on that area that you find the most interesting. So thanks so much for explaining the role a bit more. I think that helps our, our, our audience a lot. As you said, if you meet one OT, <laughs> another one could be totally different. Totally. And we're especially looking forward to learning from you, especially given your expertise in uh, child and families and specifically discussing parent and child communication. So with that, why is it common for children to sometimes withdraw and not want to talk to their parents or caregivers? Mm -hmm. This is a really good question. And my honest answer, which is going to be so unsatisfying, is that it really depends. (laughs) I think that a lot of times when I see this come up as a challenge in families, it often seems to center around the time when kids are coming home from school or childcare, and parents are really wanting to reconnect with their kids, and they're finding that their kids are not open to sharing about their day at that time. So, so sometimes I think this is a piece of what's going on when we're seeing some, you know, difficulty with communication is uh, that the timing is just not ideal for kids to kind of open up at that time. But parents are really wanting to reconnect, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. I'm just kind of curious, too, like if you have any kind of like background on why that timing is maybe not ideal, like coming back from school or coming back from childcare. Mm -hmm. So I actually had someone explain this to me by trying to encourage us to think about their perspective. So, you know, imagine yourself coming home from work. You've just had a really long day where you've really had to focus hard and work hard to kind of engage in the tasks that you have to do at work and kind of follow the rules and stay inside the lines. And then you arrive home and you're ready to just kind of take a load off and decompress a little bit and imagine that your partner or your roommate greeted you at the door and started bombarding you with questions. How was your day? What did you do? Who did you play with? Or not who did you play with if you're coming home from work, but you can imagine this is the idea. And so I think this is where the breakdown happens is our kids school for many of our kids is great. And even if they really enjoy it, it's often a time where they're really on their A game. So they're really using a lot of energy to get through that day. 
And when they get home, for many kids, it's a time that they're ready to decompress. And so hitting them with all of these questions at a time when they're ready to just kind of take a load off is just a mismatch, I think. That makes so much sense. I feel like now that you put it in that context, I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't really want to be asked all those questions. Like as soon as I walk in through the door, like that's so relatable. Mm-hmm. It is. I can feel very like overstimulated after a day of working. And so I want to decompress, have a moment to myself. And then even thinking back to like middle high school, I I knew those questions were coming. And so it kind of made me not want to talk or already be like in some sort of like defensive mode already, knowing that when mm-hmm. I go home, my parents are going to ask this. And it's just like, just just give me an hour. Let, let me have a snack and chill. And then I promise I'll tell you Mm -hmm. all about the funny thing my English professor said. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. And I feel like in the like parenting advice world, I think sometimes I see things like, oh, just ask questions this way. You know, like if we rephrase the way we're asking our kids questions, that'll help them open up. Like that example you just gave Marcianne of like, oh, tell me about something funny that happened today. That's a great question. Like, what a beautiful way to invite conversation with your kid. But if you're doing it, as soon as they walk through the door, you're probably not going to get a great answer. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah, that's so true. What are some signs that parents should maybe look out for in their kids? Like if maybe they're not open to having those conversations right after school? Yeah, I think one thing that I really love about kids is they usually don't hide their feelings very well. (laughs) And so... They're usually pretty good at making it clear when they're not ready to engage in those conversations. But some things that you might look for are kind of a sense of them shutting down, avoidance. Sometimes, especially in younger kids, they show it more through their behavior than through their words. So older kids might be able to express like, I don't want to talk about that right now, or I want to go play or, you know, tell us um, what they're needing at that time. But in younger kids, what we might see rather than being able to express what they're needing or not needing, we might just see some challenging behaviors kind of pop up. And so those might be things to look out for. And and when it comes to those challenging behaviors, this is just something to keep in the back of your mind that usually when we see challenging behaviors, what's really helpful is to kind of get curious about what's going on behind the scenes. And so if this is a common theme in your family where this is happening kind of right at the end of the school day, then this is just something to tune into. Oh, does my kiddo actually need to come home and have some time to decompress before we reconnect. Because I think that's really what's at the core of why parents are asking all these questions is they're really wanting to reconnect with their kids after having been apart all day. That is such a good way to put it. Decompress before we reconnect. Like that is so applicable in so many situations, I feel. And as you were talking too, I just remembered something that I wanted to say kind of in our previous um, conversation about how I feel like maybe allowing some of that time to like decompress, you'll actually get a bit more of like valuable conversation out of it too, as opposed to just like, oh, how was your day? Good. How about you? Good. It's more like, it's kind of like superficial and almost like automatic that we say those things. And so maybe having that time to like really decompress allows for like even a deeper connection. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is why I often hear from parents that the time that their kids initiate conversation, especially about things that are sitting a little bit deeper and maybe things that are a bit harder to talk about, is often at bedtime. And I, and I wonder if a piece of that is that they've had the evening to kind of come home, transition back into this new space, 
you know, feel reconnected. And then at bedtime is when things slow down enough. And when we've got that kind of one-on-one connected time for the kiddo to feel comfortable bringing up the conversation. Interesting. I feel like that's true. Even in my own life, I feel like I'm thinking, I'm like, I feel like I get the deepest, like at night, (laughs) like that's what all my feelings and thoughts come out from the day. It's like when you've had a chance to really like sit with them for a bit. So that's super interesting. Are there any outside influences that can affect how parents and children communicate with one another? Yeah, I think maybe a big one is our expectations. Um, I think, yeah, I think absolutely that can have an influence in terms of how we communicate with each other. I think the other thing too is when we're talking about kids, the developmental capacity for communication is really different, you know, when we're talking about a three-year-old versus even a five-year-old versus a nine-year-old. And so developmental capacity or what we would expect in terms of communication would look different at each of these kind of ages and stages. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And expectations is like, uh, I I wouldn't have even, I didn't expect you to say that, I guess I could say. Um, But it's so important. It's almost like just taking in the full context and not, you know, having any preconceived notion about how things are going to go. It's like, seems to be really important to having that like genuine, honest, open communication. What are some of the strategies to try and minimize these influences? Like, how can you work at maybe not having these expectations? I am such a big fan of the idea that awareness is is one of the biggest things that we can do. And so I think that even developing an awareness of when you have these expectations, like, oh, okay. You know, so for me, for example, so we're recording this near two o'clock. I'm going to go pick up my kids from school in about an hour. And so it's helpful for me to check those expectations when they pop up. Oh, I'm so excited to see my kids. I really want to hear all about their day oh, ding, okay, there's that expectation popping up again. And so having that expectation, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like it's a beautiful thing to want to reconnect with your kids and have these great conversations and really learn about their day because that's really the root of this, right? Is we're really wanting to know more about their world when we're not with them. But building that awareness of, noticing when it's popping up and and just being able to be flexible with it. Maybe that's the key. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like the awareness, it's, yeah, it's so true. It's just like being aware of those moments and just like catching yourself as you're thinking them. But I will say like for myself, like I don't, I don't have any children, so I'm not a parent, but the flexibility, I struggle with flexibility. And I imagine that like a decent amount of parents do as well. So how can you How can you kind of work on that flexibility? (laughs) That's a really good question. (laughs) Yeah, I think, okay. Well, it's not an easy answer. (laughs) It's the truth. Oh, I'm sure it's a loaded, yeah, it's a very loaded question. (laughs) So flexibility, it's really a skill. Like cognitive flexibility is really a skill if you have a more rigid personality, because some of us just do. Some of us are just kind of naturally more rigid people. Don't you know, put any value on that. It's not good or bad. But I think one of the ways that we can help grow our flexibility beyond the awareness piece, because I think that's, again, I think that's the start is noticing the times that you're being inflexible. The next step is checking in with how regulated you are. Uh, Because we know for sure that it is more difficult to be cognitively flexible at times when you're dysregulated. And so as a parent, I will speak for myself here. I know that there are absolutely times during my day when my kids are being really loud or really demanding, or there's just a lot going on, a lot of balls in the air that cause me to become dysregulated. And so that's a time when I know 
because I've had practice with this, that I'm going to become more rigid and that flexibility is going to be more challenging. And so the thing that I need to do actually is to like take a step back, you know, take a few deep breaths, do what I need to do to calm down a little bit before trying to find a more flexible solution to the problem. That was beautiful. I have taken so many notes, especially like Tamara shared, like I'm not a parent either, but I always come from the perspective of like an older sibling. And I was just even taking enough notes for myself as well. Like, oh man, I I have expectations as well. I really want to reconnect with my siblings when I pick them up from school. Like that's my automatic question too. Like, how is school? How is it? How's life? Why do you want to be alone? Like pay attention to me. And so (laughs) I think like I really needed to check myself. And I think that awareness piece is so it's so helpful because I think it, it helps me have more like empathy and think about like what they could be going through remember how I was at that age and even just breathe like that whole <laughs> regulation piece so that I can be in a better uh, state to really like just show up for them in a better way and not with all of this expectation of like respond <laughs> so that was helpful awesome that's great I wanted to ask, what are some strategies parents can use to build trust and maintain a strong connection with their children, especially when they can seem distant, especially during those times, like after school or things like that? Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. I, I think for parents, it's so helpful to know that one of the ways that our kids connect best is actually through play. This idea that, you know, when we're communicating, what we're doing as adults is we're really trying to build that sense of connection, right? That's how adults connect. We talk, we share ideas, we share experiences, but the way that kids connect is through play. And so after, you know, we'll, we'll run with this after school example, but I think it's applicable for lots of other times. At times that your child is, yeah, seeming a little bit distant, or you're picking up on cues that they're really not wanting to engage in conversation or connect in this way, I think that's a really great time to kind of pivot and try to just play with them instead, engage with them in play and connect with them in the way that they are looking to connect. See, again, threw me off with a response that is like so deep, but was not what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, like, more conversational but that that makes so much sense that kids love to play and there have even been times where through play they'll say like the randomest things and I'm like oh okay like that's (laughs) that's what happened today or that's what you're really going through like meeting them where they're at is so important yeah and this is something I see in the clinic with kids all the time where you know sometimes because I connect through talking, (laughs) you know, sometimes we'll be sitting there and talking and I'll notice the child that I'm working with, you know, just giving shorter answers or, you know, making less eye contact or feeling, yeah, just less engaged in the conversation. And if we switch things up, so if I bring out some plus plus blocks or if we start working on a puzzle together or movement is the other thing, you know, if we start playing catch or um, if we're outside on the swings, if I can incorporate some of these other ways that help kids feel more relaxed and comfortable, then often that's when the conversation really comes. Yeah, that's actually so fascinating too. And I was thinking um, just now reflecting about even me, like I find it so much easier to like talk um, and engage in like some of those more, you know, deeper conversations where you're like really talking about like your feelings and everything when I'm like, not necessarily just like sitting and talking to somebody, but like I'm almost distracted in a way like fidgeting with something or just like, 
something like that for me it just helps a lot so I can see how like play would be helpful in that sense too because you're not just like sitting staring each other in the eyes and talking about feelings because that can be really intimidating 100% yeah yeah and I was just curious too like about what play looks like so maybe like for younger kids it makes a ton of sense to me but like how about in older children like you know those kids that are kind of like on the brink of adolescence what is what does play look like in those years Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it depends on the kid. But like speaking generally, it would be like video games or playing sports or uh, going for a bike ride or maybe drawing. So it would it might start to look more like the hobbies that they enjoy engaging in. Yeah, as we enter those older years. That is so true. As a fellow gamer, I can say many uh, deep conversations or just really cool interactions have happened over some like Mario Kart or Call yeah. of Duty or like whatever yeah. is cool at that time. And it's like for for anyone, like it helped me get more out of my brothers and my like male cousins. And then also for like my sisters and my female cousins. It's just it was such a cool way to to bond and I think too just you know parents being open to that because my parents at least were like why are you guys just playing all day and it's like no we're actually like bonding like this is I'm learning so much about them that I don't think I would have known if I was just like let's sit down at a table and that's right and have a deep conversation exactly exactly yeah I feel like I'm looking at play so much differently now then like, like play is, you know, I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, like games, and that's awesome. And we're having fun. But it's like, there's so much more to it than that, actually, like, what a great opportunity to actually have meaningful connection and conversation around play too. Mm-hmm. Totally. What's the importance of active listening and open communication in the parent child relationship? And what techniques could parents use to show that they're truly listening to their child? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a common theme that's come up for us, the three of us during this conversation is recognizing all the ways uh, that what's true for our kids is also true for us, you know? Uh, And I think that's the same with this open communication. I think open communication with kids looks exactly the same. It looks like making eye contact if that feels appropriate, right? Showing that you're listening with your body language. So turning your body towards them, making kind of small affirming sounds like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm or I hear what you're saying, open communication might also sound like asking questions to show that you're understanding what they're saying, but without trying to kind of take back the conversation. I think maybe a helpful way to think about it too is when I describe conversations to kids who are having a harder time kind of understanding this social skill, one of the ways that we describe it is it's kind of like a ping pong match, right? So I... I'm on one side of the table and you're on the other. And we're going to kind of shuffle this ping pong back and forth. So I'm going to ask a question and then you're going to respond. And maybe you're going to ask me a question and then I'm going to respond. But this is what communication looks like is this really reciprocal thing. So as parents, when we're trying to be really open and allow our kids time and space to communicate, kind of want to think about like, really, we're just like bopping that ping pong back a little bit faster. (laughs) So we're going to like, affirm and understand what they're saying and then make sure that we kind of shunt it back to them to continue carrying the conversation in the direction that they're wanting it to go. Very interesting, the ping pong analogy. I'm curious if there's any like go-to questions that are kind of good in those situations. So I am a huge fan of asking questions like, so I'm hearing you say this, did I get that right? 
or let me think of some other good examples, basically clarifying questions. Oh, tell me more about that. That's something I use with my kids all the time. Oh, I had a fight with blah, blah, blah today. Oh, okay. Tell me more. So just these like invitations for them to kind of continue talking. Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually reminding me a lot of my um, dietetic training when I was going through my internship. I did like some motivational interviewing courses and certifications. And that was like a big thing. It's like reflecting back almost. And that's like, it's really fascinating how that like makes people so much more comfortable to open up paraphrasing and then like asking them to tell, tell me more. Yeah, totally. I think really at the, at the root of what we all want as humans is to feel seen and understood. Right. And so this is like bigger picture than just this conversation about how people parents and kids communicate. But I think Mm -hmm. if we keep this idea in mind, right, when we're communicating or trying to have these conversations with our kiddos, really what they want is to feel seen and understood. And so if that's our goal, then asking questions to help them feel seen and understood is a really great idea. Yeah, definitely. And so what are some other ways that parents can create a safe and non-judgmental environment where children feel comfortable sharing their thoughts and feelings, especially with some more like difficult or sensitive conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing that I would think about, especially for more difficult or sensitive conversations would be think about the context. So thinking about the timing of the conversation, you know, is it a time when they're hungry or tired? Probably not going to go very well. Think about the location of the conversation. I actually find being in the car with kids is a really great time sometimes to have these chats because we're in the same space. We're kind of stuck in this space together, but we're not making eye contact, right? So the intensity is a little bit decreased. Or if that's not an option, then like we mentioned before, doing it like while engaged in some kind of more playful activity. So playing with Play-Doh or building a puzzle or building with Lego, So think about the context that you're going to have the conversation in, I think would be the first thing. And then I think the other thing to keep in mind when you're having really, yeah, those like sensitive conversations with your child is to notice your responses, right? We want to be mindful that we're being really open and we don't want them to feel like they are going to be penalized or punished for things that they say in response to that. Uh, And you might even need to come right out and state that, right? So an example might be if I know that something happened for my child where they, you know, maybe lied to a friend or were really unkind to a friend. I want to make sure that in having this conversation with my child, they don't feel like I'm going to be angry with them for telling me the truth. And so I might come right out and say that. I really want to talk about this. I want you to know that I'm not going to get you in trouble for what you say here. And then along with that, when you're having these conversations, the the sense that we want our kids to have is that really we're on the same team, we're on their team. And so in that, you know, in that example of my kiddo doing something, you know, that really isn't in alignment with our values, then I think the way that I would approach that conversation would be, you know, it's really important that we talk about this, and then we're going to work together to come up with a solution so that the next time this happens, you, you know, you know, some other things you could do instead. I am so fierce, like just so quickly writing down all these notes on everything you're saying. Like, this is amazing. I'm learning so much in this conversation. And what you said about being in the car with your kids, I actually remember doing this when I was a teenager. I feel like I read it somewhere that like, that's where you should like talk to your parents if you want to talk to them about something because, you know, nobody can go anywhere. Nobody can leave and you're not directly staring at them. So that's definitely a tactic that I remember using when I was younger too. So it's really interesting to hear that come up, how it kind of works the other way too, that parents can also ask their kids things when they're in the car. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of the most, like the biggest conversations or the conversations that really left an impression on me, like between my mother and I was always in the car and because we had a lot of long drives and even just like preferencing like being mindful of your responses that you said we'd start like really hard conversations with like mom I need a friend right now like (laughs) I need someone to talk to and it really helped like decompress the the situation and like her response was more like okay all right like you're not gonna get in trouble thanks for telling me and then we were able to talk through it and because we also had those conversations in the car when we get home like home is a safe space so now it's time to like eat dinner have a snack watch a movie like just like relax as opposed to continuing the the deep conversation it kind of like it stayed in the car and now we can move on Yeah, I love that. And Marcia, and it also makes me think about like for parents who are listening who have older kids, another thing that you might want to keep in mind is at the start of these hard conversations, especially if your child's bringing it up, ask them, do you need me to listen or do you want me to help you solve this problem? Because I think a lot of times our kids just want us to listen. They just need us to be a sounding board. They need to be able to kind of process events by talking them out and and as parents we want to solve the problems for them this is you know it's our deepest desire that our kids do well and don't face these huge barriers and so our default often is to jump into problem solving mode and that can cause shutdown too and so yeah for parents of older kiddos starting the conversation that way oh thank you so much for coming to me do you need me to listen right now or do you want me to help you solve this problem Yeah, that's really impactful. And I I imagine too, a lot of that has to do with that like safety, like even how you mentioned having those, like you're not going to get in trouble, like let's work together. Like I feel like that's a big part of to just making your child or whoever you're communicating with just feel safe, which really gets out a lot of the more truer feelings and thoughts. It's really interesting to me how just like these kind of simple things, I mean, you know, it's easy to say them, right? But it's hard sometimes in the moment to do them. But they, it sounds like they can really make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. How can parents support themselves or self-regulate? So we've kind of talked a little bit about dysregulation during these difficult times of communication with their children. Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. And I think it's so important. And in my own experience, and based on all of the parents that I work with, I think it's really common that as parents, we actually don't have a ton of these self-regulation skills. And so it can be hard to kind of keep our own cool in the face of our kids' dysregulation, which is maybe what's happening in some of these really hard conversations. I'm a really big fan of breathing, of noticing and modifying your breathing, because we know that it's actually the fastest way to kind of short circuit that dysregulation. So that physiological, like your heart beating quickly, you know, those things that happen when you're feeling angry or worried and what deep breathing does, or even just slowing your breathing, it doesn't have to be deep breathing necessarily. What it does is it sends a signal to your brain saying, okay, things are okay. (laughs) We can slow our heart rate down now. And it's going to start to bring down those physiological signs of dysregulation, which can help to really shift things. So that's one thing. So notice your breath and see if you can just slow your breath down a little bit. And then the other thing that I think is really valid and important for parents to keep in mind is that it's really okay to tell your kids that you need to go take a minute. So, you know, in my house, that might sound like, I really, uh, I really want to talk about this with you. I'm feeling a little upset right now. 
I'm just going to go. I just need a minute to help calm my body down. And then I'm going to be right back. Uh, And why I think this is actually a really great thing for parents to do is we're modeling to our kids the way that we self-regulate, the way that we're going to try to manage our own feelings so that we can be our best selves in these conversations. And it's a pretty simple strategy to use. Those were really good tips. It got me thinking about, again, just like adolescence, what a beautiful time. But um, just with my mom and I, like thinking about when those breakdowns in communication happen. And now looking back, being an adult, it's like, oh, she was probably just like dysregulated and just needed a minute and needed to breathe and like take a moment. And then me as well, like I'm a kid who is very emotional and all the hormones. So it's just when we both come in a moment and we're not able to decompress and breathe first, like we, it's so easy to take it out on each other. And so I just, I love that point that it's really okay for parents to go and, and take a minute because throughout this podcast, we're, I feel like I'm really realizing how much parents do, how much parents have to go through. And I really hope that they can like have a lot of grace on themselves and take the moments to take care of themselves as well, because it'll only benefit like them and their child. So yeah, that just made me have a lot of sympathy for my parents. I'm like, you all just probably needed to breathe. And I apologize that me and my siblings probably made it hard <laughs> for for them to feel like they could. But it's totally okay for parents to take a time out and just <laughs> breathe. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're totally right. Adults get dysregulated just like our kids do. And we know actually that like on a, a neurological level, our brain just doesn't work as well. It's a lot harder to access that complex thought, the thinking part of our brain when our emotions are big. And so I talk about this often in the context of kids because kids have emotions that are very well developed, you know, (laughs) they've got a fully developed sense of anger and sadness and, but their thinking brain is a work in progress, right? Their prefrontal cortex is something that's going to continue to develop until they're 25. But with adults, yeah, our thinking brain is more developed for sure, but we we lose that connection between our thinking brain and our feeling brain in just the same way. And so when we're dysregulated, neurologically, it is harder to think about what you're going to say. It's harder to access language centers when you're dysregulated. It's yeah. just like legitimately harder to do. And so, you know, it's, uh, I would say, it's really respectable. I think like it's not a sign of weakness if you need to go mm-hmm. and kind of take a break or, you know, return to a conversation or do th- do whatever you need to do to regulate yourself in the midst of these conversations. I think I think it's yeah, really wonderful. Yeah, it really it really is. Like I feel like that's actually so important to take that moment sometimes because I feel like it's almost some some of the time you're jumping into that problem solving like you mentioned earlier you're like okay I, I gotta deal with this right now and that can make it so much harder to have that conversation when you haven't taken a moment to step away so I feel like I mean for me too even though I'm not a parent I'm like I feel like I could take this advice a lot to just like take a minute and then you know come back to it and see how I feel because that problem solving hat comes on and then things I mean it's just like a lot of quick thoughts, you know, not necessarily always the most well thought out. In my case, I, I tend to act before I speak sometimes. So we're working on it. But it's, it's so important to take that minute. Yeah, totally. And I think like what you just said, Tamara, really reminds me of this idea that 
like really what parenting is, is it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship between the parent and the child. And so all of these things that we're talking about are really strategies that we use in the context of any relationship. And so there's little tweaks, you know, to make it developmentally appropriate or like, you know, maybe you wouldn't play Play-Doh, but being at a board game cafe, for example, with your friends is probably a better time to have a conversation than, you know, sitting down and staring eye to eye. Yeah, you're just building a relationship. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's really like helping me put it in my own context. I feel like this whole time you've been sharing um, all these things. But yeah, we're like in that parent child context right now. But it's true. It can like totally be extrapolated to all these different contexts. At the core of it, it is just relationships. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a rich conversation, by the way, that we're having so much fun. And I feel like I'm I have so many notes right now that I'm just like, wow, I want to do better Um, just with my relationships in general. Where can our listeners find more resources and support for building healthy family communication habits? One of the books that I really love is called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And it's full of lots of information and strategies and ways to support great communication. Uh, If you have younger kids at home, they also have a version. I think it's called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen but that's a great one to check out too. That's awesome. We're definitely going to put that in the description of the podcast episode too. If you can maybe share us the authors of that book too, so we can get that in there. For sure. And to close out the podcast, we like to give families three take-home tips. What are three take-home tips you can share with our listeners about how to communicate with your child? Yes, I would love to share three take-home tips. My number one tip would be to connect through play. Yeah, notice how you're connecting with your kiddos. And if it's not working to have conversations, then see what you can do to connect with them through play instead. My second tip would be to be mindful about the timing and the context of when you're trying to have these conversations. And then my last tip would be don't take it personally. So if you're finding that there are times when your child is really just not interested in engaging in these conversations, try your best to not take it personally. It very likely is not about you and much more about what's going on for them in that moment. Thank you so much for those tips and just for taking the time to talk with us about the parent-child relationship and more specifically how to encourage communication even when it's difficult. Your knowledge and insights are very, very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us again on the Healthy Habits Happy Home podcast. We hope our listeners enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.